Okay. Page 113. And today we are looking at a passion to share. And of course we all know what a passion is. We all know what people do when they have a passion for something. Uh, no one can actually stop them from doing it. So the question that we have to begin with today is, what marketing methods are least likely to persuade you? What marketing, well, what commercials, let's put it that way. What television or, or media commercials that are least likely to persuade you? They don't do anything to persuade you to buy their product. Any particular one comes to mind? Sans bear. Huh? <laughs> Sans bear. Sans bear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, whenever that commercial come, I want to mute the TV. Royal Bank. Royal Bank. Yeah. Yeah, they. Yeah, with all these fees going up now, yeah. they might as well stop advertising. Yes. No, Royal is I think Royal is the highest. Royal is the highest. Yeah, I think Royal is the highest in fees. Well, they, they are trying to make up for the drastic amount of business that they have lost in the last 10 years. Yeah, but then you can't, they can't put the burden on the people for that. They, all that money they take in out the country. Yeah. I mean, they take millions and millions of dollars and send it to Canada. And you know those fees that they charge us, they can't charge in Canada? No. That's right. They cannot charge those don't fees in Canada. They don't. They can't. Don't they hear all the banks. All the Canadian banks. They just, need, they just need the government need to regulate them out of business. Anyway, let's look at uh, Bible meets life. Bible meets life. Page 114. Marketing people see a product's video or image online and they share it on social media. Evangelism marketing people who are so so sold on a product or company that it's all they use or talk about. Know anyone who is an evangelist for iPhone? For example, telling us about Jesus has nothing to do with marketing, but it, but it can involve persuasion in 2 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul wrote about persuasion. However, his focus was not on what he did to persuade others. His focus was on what persuaded him to share Christ with others. Let's consider what persuaded us to do the same. Okay. Persuasion is what we're going to be talking about today. So what's the point of our lesson today? 
Right. God calls us to share the gospel. Let's uh, begin by looking at um, the first passage we have, basically just one verse of, of scripture on page 115, that's uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. Uh, a couple of things we want to note there uh, in that verse. Uh, fear, uh, verse 11, is a word that stands out there. Well, first we want to give us an idea of what the setting is here when we, when we look at these verses and what uh, the Apostle Paul is doing. Uh, about AD 50 to 52, Paul founded the church at Corinth. And uh, he ministered there for about 18 months. And we see that time frame recorded in Acts chapter 18 and verse 11. It says, so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, that's 18 months, to teach the word. So we know he stayed there for 18 months after uh, he started the church. Paul co corresponded with and visited the Corinthians over the next three years, attempting to answer questions and correct wrong thinking and behavior in the church. See, every church has its problems. In AD 56, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, his fourth letter, only two of which survived. No one knows what happened to the rest of them. And he wrote those letters to refute false teachers who had infiltrated the Corinthian church and were questioning his apostolic credentials and integrity. Nothing has changed in the church. People are still doing the same thing today. So when we look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, chapter 5 and verse 11, one of the words that stand out there is fear. In verse 11, Paul noted the driving force behind his ministry. And what was that? The fear of the Lord. That was the driving force behind Paul's ministry. While the term fear is used in the New Testament to refer to a general sense of fear or terror, it is also used, as it is in this verse, to describe the reverential awe that believers have toward God. A couple of verses point out what this kind of fear is, is like. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 26, we read, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Okay, so we know what kind of fear people have when they, see a, when they think they see a ghost, right? Okay, that's the kind of fear that, that is, is mentioned here in this verse. The second verse that mentions fear is Matthew 28 and verse 4. The gods shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Now we know that fear caused some people to faint, right? That's what happened to these soldiers, all right? And they saw the Lord Jesus uh, after the resurrection, they fainted because he was supposed to be dead, all right? And so obviously they thought they were seeing a ghost. Okay, so that's the kind of fear that, uh, that is mentioned here with regards to 
would pour out. This reverential awe for God in light of his perfect holiness, his righteousness, his omniscience or his all-knowingness, and his omnipotence or his all-powerfulness leads a person to live in obedience to God. So when you think about God's, God being perfectly holy, think of God being righteous, think of God being all-knowing, and nothing escapes him. He sees everything. He knows everything. And all-powerful is omnipotence. Those things should lead every believer to walk in obedience to him. Don't you think? Because Paul had experienced this fear of the Lord, he sought to persuade people. To persuade means to convince someone. You know, you're trying to convince someone to buy something, right? So you're trying to persuade them to buy something. A primary focus of Paul's life was sharing the gospel with others. Primary focus. Paul's motivation for this work came from the fact that he had experienced a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, as recorded in Acts chapter 9. Remember uh, Paul, when he was Saul, on the road to Dam uh, on the on the Emmaus, not road to Damascus. Because of that encounter, he went from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ and starting or establishing churches. This focus on preaching the gospel, making disciples and teaching them to grow in Christ likeness, was the hallmark of Paul's ministry. In Acts chapter nine. Uh, those uh, first six verses, we see uh, Paul's encounter that caused them to develop this kind of fear, uh, his personal encounter with the Lord. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul, uh, that is Paul, when he was Saul, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of, of any followers of the way he found there. And Christianity in those days was called the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on, his, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay, so that's Paul's encounter that he went through, that he experienced fear that resulted in him persuading people uh, to come to the Lord. Because of his experiences, fear of the Lord sought to persuade Paul to win others to Christ. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs there beneath that verse. Someone want to read that? You are probably saying one of the one of the countless motivation posters hung in businesses and offices a dramatic picture with a 
Australian steering steering quote meant to offer inspiration and motivation to be hard hard harder workers of better people. Sorry, I I need your glasses too. <laughs> okay, anybody else want to try? Such posters might generate nice thoughts, but they do. But do they truly motivate us? Okay, that's good. Motivation drives everything we do. Psychologists define motivation in two ways: extinct and extrinsic, and extrinsic and, and intrinsic. intrinsic. Extrinsic motivation is what causes us to do something in order to gain an external benefit, such as walking up, waking up at 4:30 a.m. to deliver newspapers because you need money. Right. Intrinsic motivation is what prompts us to do something for internal satisfaction without any regards for receiving anything from another person, such as showing up every Sunday to unload a trailer and set up chairs so that your church can meet in a rented school cafeteria. What motivates us to share the gospel with others? Paul pointed to an intrinsic motivator since we know the fear of the Lord we try to persuade people. Paul wasn't referring to the kind of fear that's marked by terror, nor did he point to the type of fear associated with phobias, phobias such as the fear of snakes or clowns. Rather, Paul was talking about a fear that rises out of a deep respect and awe. This reverential reverential fear, this deep and loving respect, motivated Paul to live in such a way that would please Christ. The same fear should motivate us to live the same way, even as we try to persuade people about the gospel. Okay, so notice uh, those last two paragraphs there. It says, what motivates us to share the gospel with others? Paul pointed to an, to an intrinsic motivator. So Paul alone wasn't an extrinsic, it was intrinsic. Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Paul wasn't referring to the kind of fear that's marked by terror, nor did he point, uh, point to the type of fear associated with phobias, such as the fear of snakes or clowns. Rather, Paul was talking about the fear that arises out of a deep respect and awe. This reverential fear, this deep and loving respect motivated Paul to live in such a way that would please Christ. And then the challenge is, the same fear should motivate us to live the same way even as we try to persuade others about the gospel. Okay, we know the scriptures. We know what's going to happen to people who die without Christ. We have intimate details of what's going to happen to people because the Bible teaches it. Now the ordinary Joe Blow on the street doesn't know that. All he knows that is, is there's a judgment day coming. He don't know the, the details of what that judgment day is going to be like. We know that. 
So out of our fear of knowing what's going to happen to people made in the image and likeness of God, we should persuade people to come to Christ. And that's what Paul was doing. That was Paul's position. That's our position. Okay, we know what God is going to do to those who don't know Christ. And so out of fear for what's going to happen to those people, how God is going to deal with them, we should, too, like Paul, should share the gospel and try to persuade people to come to Christ. Um, question number two. What comes to mind when you think of persuading others to follow Christ? What is the first thought that comes to mind? Hmm? Praying, all right, okay. Uh, such things only come by prayer and fasting, right? Mm -hmm. Some people say, boy, only God can save that person. <laughs> yes, only God can. You can. Mm -hmm. All right, but sometimes it takes praying. And then there are some people who pray for people for years and years and years uh, just to get them to come to Christ because no amount of talking to them could persuade them. All right, there are some people like that. You know, so the only thing you can do is pray for them. And then there are some people who still like to criticize Christians that they're not going to listen to you. All right, so what do you do? You pray and you ask God to change their mind and change their hearts. Okay, as we move to verse 14 to 17, we'll see what else compelled Paul to share the gospel with others and what should compel us as well. Okay, so let's see what else compelled Paul. Uh, read verses 14 to 17 on page 116. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Okay. Question number three. What are the basic truths of the gospel every person needs to hear? Christ died for them. Christ died for them. And what else? According to the verse, okay, Christ died for all. Yes, Okay, we become new creatures in Christ when we come to Him. Okay, what else does the verse tell us? Not only did Christ die, but He did what? He was raised from the dead. You know, there are a lot of religions around the world today that don't have a, a risen leader. Christianity is the only one who have a Savior who was dead, but now is alive forevermore. So that's important uh, that we do not uh, exclude that, that, that truth. Okay, let's look at the um, paragraphs there uh, beneath that verse. When I was engaged to Christina, I wanted to do something special for her on Valentine's Day. But I was a student on a limited budget. I couldn't afford dinner at a restaurant, so I cooked uh, our own gourmet meal. 
what made it particularly special for her was that I took the time to make it myself, mm. even though I had never done it so before. Mm. What compelled me love? It was the same love that compelled me to work at a fast food sandwich shop all summer so that I could afford an engagement ring for her. The same love that compelled me to move across the country so I could live in the same city where she lived. Love compels us to do great things, like share the good news of Christ with those who need to hear it. Several gospel truths stand out in this passage as part of the message Paul compelled to share. Christ died for all, verse 14 and 15. Every one of us has, has sinned. The penalty of failing to live a total obedience to God is death, Romans 3, 23, 6, 23. But okay. Jesus... Go ahead, finish reading. Go ahead, finish reading. But Jesus willingly took up himself the death we deserve. See Hebrews 2 9. Okay, let's look at those verses, those uh, three verses there. Romans 3.23, we know that one, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glories, glories of God, right? And then we also know Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through. Jesus. Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 2 9. <coughs> what does Hebrews 2 9 say? What do we see in Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels? And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. All right? Continue reading, brother. Christ was raised for all, verse 15. God raised Jesus from the dead, and all who believe and trust Jesus will be granted eternal life. Okay, let's look at those verses. First one is John 11, 25. Anybody have that? This is Jesus' and, uh, encounter with Martha. I, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Remember that encounter? After Lazarus' death? And then Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Anyone have that one? Okay, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. 
We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Okay? That's those two verses. Go on, continue reading. We can live for Christ, verse 15. Christ comes to dwell in his followers. We are not on our own, but he gives us his spirit to help us live and bring glory to him. Romans 8, 14 through 17. Okay, Romans 8, uh, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Okay, continue reading. We are made new in Christ. Jesus doesn't just remove our sins, our sin. He gives us a new life, Ephesians 2, 10. Okay, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. All right, continue reading. Sharing the gospel of Jesus is not a religious act or a task to check off of our list. Instead, it's the natural flow of experiencing Christ's love we were broken vessels, broken by our sins, but Christ took our sin and brokenness upon himself. He died for you and me, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Okay. For that reason, boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaim the good news because of the love of Christ which compels us. Okay, so we see that the love of Christ is what should compel us, right? It says that that, that uh, uh, final paragraph there, sharing the gospel of Christ is not a religious act or a task to check off your list like what the Jehovah's Witness do. It's a task to check off the list. Instead, it's the natural overflow of experiencing Christ's love. And so, by, as an expression of Christ's love, we share the gospel with others. We are broken vessels, broken by our sin, but Christ took our sin and brokenness upon himself. He died for you and me, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Okay, so we see what love, the love of Christ ought to be doing, supposed to be doing in the life of the believer. It compels us. Okay, two words, persuasion and compel. 
have a lot to do with how we respond to sharing the gospel of Christ. Question number four. We did. We didn't do question three. Oh yeah, one of the basic truths. Of, oh, we did that. Yeah, we did. We talked about that one. The basic truths of the gospel: uh, Christ dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. Yeah, we did that. Question number four: What does the love of Christ change, or how does the love of Christ change our view of the world and the people we encounter? How does the love of Christ? It's a compelling factor, isn't it? Yeah. According to the verse, it compels us. Okay, compels us. It's a truth that compels us uh, to tell people what God has done for them. Okay, as we conclude with verses 18 to 21, we'll see that the followers of Jesus aren't simply encouraged to share the gospel. We are specifically called to do so. Okay, so when someone calls you, don't you answer? When your phone rings, you answer it, right? Or you just sit there and watch it. <laughs> Some people have a caller ID and they look at the screen and they see who's calling and they just let it ring. Because <laughs> they don't want to talk to that person, they don't want to hear from that person. Okay, okay, let's look at the, those verses, verses 18 to 21 on page 117. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has recon God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who died, who did not know sin, to be sent for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. Well, we see that word reconciled okay we are we have been reconciled we have been made uh, right with God what does the next question say number five what are some ways we can participate in the work described in these verses what are some ways we can participate and the work described in these verses. What does the verse say? He has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of what? Have a heart of forgiveness. Have a heart of forgiveness, okay, like God does. What else? Hmm? Spreading the word. Mm -hmm. Okay. Notice what it says, verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, we could uh, refrain from judging people, and has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, while we are ambassadors for Christ, what does an ambassador do? 
represent their country or okay. represent the, the person or the head of an organization. Okay. Reconcile our country. They, they are the spokesperson for their country. Okay, let's look at the verses we have beneath that verse. We know from our own relationships that reconciliation is needed when two people are at odds with each other. Okay? But we were more than just at odds with our Creator. We rebelled and made ourselves God's enemies. Thankfully, God would not leave us there. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. According to verse 5 and chapter 5, verse 10. We are reconciled to God. This is surely good news because certainly you don't want to be God's enemy. Yet, for many Christians, their understanding of the gospel ends there. They see the great benefit of gospel for themselves, but they fail to see that they've been charged with sharing this opportunity for reconciliation. It's our ministry. Because of this ministry, Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. The principal duty of an ambassador has not changed since Paul's day. Namely, an ambassador represents his or her country on foreign soil. When a United States ambassador speaks to a foreign government, it's the United States speaking. In the same way, we represent Jesus. We are the ambassadors of King Jesus in a place that is not our true home, which means we are to live in such a way that when people see us, they see Jesus. As Christ's ambassadors, our words, right or wrong, are a reflection of Him. That's why Paul said, God is making His appeal through us. God's plan to save the world includes you and me. If you are a follower of Christ, God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. If you are a new creation in Christ, God has commissioned you to share that same message of reconciliation with others. Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, and Acts 1, 8. Let's look at those two, two uh, passages there. What is Matthew 28, 18? Anyone have them? Matthew 28:18-20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even even unto the end of the world. Okay, that is called the what? Great Commission. The Great Commission, right? Not just a commission. That's called the Great Commission. And that Great Commission was given to the ambassadors for Christ. That's the power, the paramount mission of the ambassador. Acts 1 8. Someone else? Go ahead. We shall receive power 
after that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost has come upon him, upon you, and we shall be witnesses into me, both in, Ju in, Julia, in Jerusalem and in Oar, in Judea and in Samaria and, in Samaria, and, and to the Artemis part of the earth. Okay. So here we have that commission uh, expanded. You will receive the Holy Spirit's power and you will be my witnesses, Jesus. This is Jesus talking again, telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we see the, 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 the challenge, the mandate of the ambassador. You are an, an ambassador for Christ, and God wants us to wants to use you to share the gospel with others. So, go. Share with others what God has done in your life. Talk about what your life has been, was like before you encountered Christ. Share what your priorities used to be and how you used to make decisions. Then talk about the moment you realized your ways were insufficient. Share how everything changed when you confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. What does it say? Well, this is the word of promise. Uh, Romans 10 and 9? Oh, sorry. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, and those, those verses are pretty much straightforward. Continuing, be Christ's ambassador and carry out the ministry of reconciliation. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let God handle the rest. Amen? All right. How do we put this into practice into place. What steps can we take to share the gospel this week? Consider these suggestions. Begin with prayer. When you wake up in the morning, get on your knees and ask God to work through you. Tell him, Lord, please use me to be a blessing to others today. Help me to be your ambassador today. Okay, that's pretty much straightforward, right? You ask him and he'll do it. Learn to share. Talk to your pastor or a leader in your church to get some practical tips for sharing the gospel. Consider using the inside cover of this book as you talk, as you talk as a guide for talking with others about Jesus. And so we have some helps right here in your study guide. And then share. Commit to initiating a gospel conversation this week. Be active in telling someone about Christ. And uh, you can do that anytime. You're standing in line, waiting to pay a bill somewhere. You can engage someone in the gospel. If someone talks about how hard it is, boy, that's a good opportunity right there. Okay, because you know that other place where people go to if they don't go to heaven? That could be harder. All right, so you talk to them about, you get involved in the conversation. All right, God has blessed you to be a blessing. God wants to work through you 
to see his kingdom come and his will be done in your neighborhood, workplace, and city. Are you ready to go? Challenge, all right? We got a challenge there. The only way people are going to hear is by God's ambassadors. And that's you and me, right? And God don't have no other ambassadors but us. All right, so we need to be mindful of that. No one else but us. Amen? Yes.